Thank you, Elise. I'm Rose. Uh, I wasn't feeling nervous earlier, but I'm um, a bit nervous now. But it's very nice to see everybody I know. And um, and, and thank you, Elise, for agreeing to me sharing today. I, I did ask for a special reason, and that's because it's uh, mine and Dom's 20-year anniversary this week. Uh, it's not a wedding anniversary, but it's our, uh, what did uh, Howard call it? He called it the gotcha moment uh, and that was uh, 20 years ago and the reason I wanted to share about that is it's my relationship that brought me to recovery you know it wasn't my drinking uh, that was already in the past but it was issues in my relationship that brought me to recovery and have effectively gifted me this this year of growth and change um I've prepared a little bit. I've got some notes, but I haven't written it down. And anybody who heard me share before knew I wrote it down. So I'm hoping that this is going to go all right. Um, so I'll give you a bit of a backstory, a bit of a backstory to the love story. And I've known Dominic since I was 16 and he was 18. Um, not in any great way, but that's when our paths first crossed. His family became my neighbours at that time. And although he didn't live with his family, he was already an adult living away from home. You know, I knew who he was. I knew his family. I, I knew stuff about him. So that's back in 1989. And um, we can skip over the intervening years. I had a crappy marriage. I had two children. He was doing his stuff, whatever it was. But, you, you know, really, we knew about each other, but we didn't. Um, we weren't together. and. I'm going to jump now to the summer of 2002 and I am two years separated from my husband and life is pretty crazy. You know, I'm, I'm turning 30. Uh, everything's a god awful mess, really. Um, and, you know, at the time I was just living and thought I was living okay, but really things, things were quite messy. And at the time I was, my best friend was, was Dominic's sister. So, so he was coming closer into my everyday life. And in the summer of 2002, he, he came on holiday to, to visit his sister with his current partner from France. And, and that was when I had my bang moment. You know, I realized that this man was the man I was meant to spend the rest of my life with. I was completely in love. He was the one. Um, and if you'd asked me 12 months ago if that was true, I'd say, yes, of course it was true. I knew from that moment he was absolutely the one. But now when I look at my behaviour, I realise that I did that all the time. You know, it was just lucky that Dom did actually happen to be the one, but I was always falling in love. You know, I'm all in. You know, when I see something that I'm in love with, whether it be a person or a thing or a recovery group, I'm all in until I'm not anymore. So, you know, anyway, at this moment in summer 2002, I fell hook, line and sinker. It was a proper, you know, teenage, lovesick puppy, totally all over the place. And I want to write, read you a poem I wrote during that holiday and I am going to give you three caveats to that before I read it and one is that I was extremely stoned when I wrote it 
that I had a limited vocabulary available to me at the time. And then the most important thing you need to remember about this poem is that the last line was written by somebody else. So this is quite an important poem to me. I thought it was brilliant at the time, but I was so. Give her some ocean through which she can think and no crazy tingle close by together walk. Glow heart when hands share. Talk of moon music warm night where time could burst the eye can see inside the heart so i'm going to tell you the story of that poem we were all out in the pub and after the pub we would go round to a friend's house in the village and sit around and smoke joints and she had a fridge in the corner of the room that had all these little tiny magnets with little words on it and uh, you know that was the thing if you wanted to you could go and write something on the fridge and I wrote this poem on the fridge and the next morning I was probably still stoned and thought oh that was a stroke of genius and I rushed down to my friend's house with a notepad and paper and wrote it down and there was a line on the end that I knew I had not written and I know who wrote it and it was Dominic's partner at the time his his French girlfriend had written the last line the eye can see inside the heart so whilst I thought I was maybe behaving discreetly and wasn't obviously some sort of mad, love-crazed woman, uh, quite clearly I, I wasn't being nearly as subtle as I thought. And um, the thing about this woman is she came, she, later on in our story, she became a great friend and a loyal ally and, and, and never let us down in the face of, of some fierce opposition. So you know, great kudos to her. She she was a, a very strong woman. So I wrote this poem and uh, I was madly in love, but I was also telling myself, don't be an idiot. You do this all the time. It's going to be a disaster if you fall in love with this guy and then it turns out to be a mistake. You're going to lose all your friend, your best friend. It, and off he went back to France and I was still there and I just got sick. I got properly crazy um, and he was away longer than he expected because unbeknown to me, crazy things were happening for him too. His relationship was falling apart. There were family stresses. It was a tough time for him, although I, I didn't know it at the time. So he didn't actually come back to the UK until December, which is why we're looking at our anniversary time now. And... The day before I saw him again, he had a really tough time. You know, part of the tough time he was having was that he'd been given an ultimatum by members of his family who'd said to him, you tell mother this or else we will. So he'd had an evening where he'd had a particularly difficult conversation with his mother and was pretty wrecked after that. And at the very same time, uh, maybe three miles away, I was sexually assaulted by a friend's husband while I was babysitting. So the day that we saw each other after this period of separation of three months where Dom maybe had no idea what was going on in my head, but certainly I'd been getting myself into quite a state. You know, we were just a wreck, but two wrecks. And... um 
really not in a great place, but but quite good friends to each other. And, and because we were the first other human beings to see after we both had these traumatic moments, um, you, you know, we offloaded on each other quite quite a lot on that day. And then about a week after that, we were alone again and I just came out with it all snotty, dribbling, you know, there wasn't anything seductive or elusive, but you know, about it. I just burst into tears, said, Oh, I'm madly in love with you. I've no idea what to do about it. Sob, sob, sob. And I remember him patting me on the back and saying, There, there, dear, don't worry about it. Tap, tap. And off we went to bed. We were in the same house staying as it happened in his sister's house. And then 36 hours, he said, nothing you know we got up the next morning we went for a walk we met breakfast we we did whatever he said absolutely nothing about me having declared my undying love and that I was beside myself well talk about a thousand agonies that was you know I didn't know what was going to happen and I thought I'd made a complete mess of everything and oh you know terrible angst and then we were sitting on the sofa, maybe uh, 24 hours, 36 hours later, watching the sofa in the front room with his sister on the sofa as well, and all the family, people who were living in the house. At the time. And he grabbed me, put his arms around me, and then he never let go. He still didn't say anything, mind. It was a, it was a while before I get anything verbal out of him, but he just grabbed me, and and that was it. And and really, we've been clinging on ever since. And um, the shit really hit the fan. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this about how much difficulty we had with his family because it's a big thing and I could talk for hours about it and it's not resolved and I've still got a lot of pain and confusion and when I work my steps with my sponsor, I expect this to be a really big part of it. But led by his sister, but with all the family pulling up the rear, basically everything that could be done to separate us, what was done. And it was a campaign of bullying and undermining that just went on and on. And um, it would be 10 years before I finally drew a line in the sand and said, I am just not doing this anymore. I am not going to interact with these people because I can't take it. But I allowed it to go on for 10 years. I allowed myself to keep going back for more punishment. And even even since I've drawn the line in the sand and said I won't have anything to do with these people, I still keep taking the book down off the shelf and putting myself through pain with it. And that is something that needs to be resolved. But, you know, that that's... It's a big backdrop to our relationship, the level of negativity we received. And I, I still don't really understand it. I think it makes me think of that bit in the big book about other people wanting to control the play. And I just think there were quite a few people that had heavily invested in repairing me and repairing Dominic and in their imaginations of good solutions for us nobody had put us as a pairing as a good solution and and we just fucked with everybody's idea about what was what was good for us 
And while I was preparing to do this share, I said to Dom, I said, why did you stay? You know, that, that you got, you know, that it would have been so much easier for you to just leave, you know, and, and you could have gone back to the bosom of your family and you wouldn't have had to put up with all this shit. And he said, because I love you and because the people that I really trusted, none of the people that I really trusted tried to put me off you. The people I really trusted gave us their blessing. So there you go. That was something I learned in preparing for this share. So it's not just sitting here talking that gives me opportunity for growth, um, but, but that did too. Um, what else am I? Oh, I'm going down my list now to just check that I'm. Uh, I want to now talk about positive achievements because um, we got all this backdrop of negativity, but um, we achieved some really great things. And I suppose the first thing is Don was an exceptionally good stepfather. You know, as well as the sort of negativity from his family, I mean, my, my kids who were nine and seven at the time were, were none too impressed about a new man coming into my life. And, you know, they tested into his limits. I think that's pretty normal behavior for the kids. And he was just steady, you know, steady, consistent, no drama, didn't put up with any shit, but didn't create any shit either uh, and behaved like an adult. Um, and he never tried to use their own father, but he was able to, to plug the gaps in what he could offer. And actually offered them quite a lot of healing from, from the shit they'd have to, have to put up with, with their, from their own two parents. So, you know, he, he was really exceptional in, in how he was a stepfather and also, you know, just offering another sort of example of how a couple should be, uh, you know, by being correct with me, he was offering them a, a role model and then because of the shit we had with his family, one of the things, one of the tactics to deal with that was we ran away to France for the first time. And um, we came back to France because Dom was offered a contract, a work contract with his old employer. His ex-partner, who I mentioned earlier, she said, oh, you can come and live with me until um, until you find a place of our own. And and that, and she that's when she was really exceptional. You know, she took me everywhere. She introduced me to all the friends and family groups. We even went to a family, French family reunion with all the sort of third cousins twice removed. And she made bawdy jokes about how Don was the only one who could get away with bringing two women to the family reunion. And, and she, you know, by being so positive, nobody had any opportunity to be negative. Because she created this positivity that that wouldn't allow anybody else to be negative. And while we were in France, and and she he was Don was on this work contract, but I really wasn't doing very much. My French was non-existent. Um, the guy they'd employed to be Don's labourer was a, was a drunkard, effectively. You know, if he turned up in the morning, he 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 turned up late. He rarely turned up after lunch, and and he was just dangerous to have on site. So I might have some empathy for him now as a, as a human being, but at that time it, it was not a, a great relationship. And Don persuaded his boss to take me on as his labourer. Now, I don't think this boss 
in his right mind, thought taking on this young slip of an English girl who had not a word of French as a labourer on a building site was a, was a good idea. But he had a good relationship with Dom. He respected Dom and he wanted Dom to stay. So he gave me a job. And I, God, I worked hard. I mixed concrete. I laid tiles on a roof. I learned how to install partitions and insulation. And I guess that's another one of our successes. You know, Don never let me think that there was anything that I couldn't do. You know, I'd been married to a man for 10 years who kept telling me what I couldn't do and how useless I was at everything. And here was somebody who said to me, of course, you can walk around on the roof of a building that's four stories tall. Of course, you can learn how to lay tiles. Of course, you can install insulation. And, um, you know, that was a great, a great thing. Uh, and I learned a lot about myself and I grew a lot. And, and that moves on to one of our other successes, having, having children of our own. And I know that Sylvie was conceived on the building site one lunchtime when, you know, we were much younger then. These things came over us suddenly and, and that was that. So I fell pregnant with Sylvie. We were still living with Dom's ex-partner. That's maybe a bit not great, but we had put an offer in our own house. We were about to move into our own house and, um, We've been good parents together. We're genetically, <laughs> genetically, we've produced a couple of beauties, so we must be well matched. Um, and, and the sum of our parenting together is so much more than just double what we offer as individuals. And, um, I know a lot of it's luck, but I, I want us to give us some credit that we work together and, and, and being a parent with somebody where you are not constantly having to check that you're on the same page, that it just happens, that you feel like the same thing, that you're coming from the same place. And, um, you know, I guess that's what we're going to leave behind when Dom and I aren't around our kids are what we leave behind. So, so that's a success. And, and of course, more parenting still, because when my baby William was just Five days old and still in my arms, we entered negotiation with a pair of lesbian acquaintances who, who wanted Don to be a donor father for them. And um, we behaved like adults then and negotiated the four of us about what, what things were important to us. And, and I became, I'm now stepmother to, to two lovely boys. And that's a, a relationship that's been wonderful. You know, we've acquired two women, two adult women into our lives who, who now count as family. And we have these extra children and we have learned and grown so much. And my kids have learned and grown from that. And, you know, there's much to learn about diversity and all different types of love and how different family units and, and how any sort of family unit can function well if there's love and respect um and we got married and we when we first set the date for our marriage um we were going to get married at Dom's birthday and then one of the this was at the time when the second child the second little boy was trying to be conceived and and my friend contacted me. She said, Oh, I'm pregnant and the baby's due on. And it was Dom's birthday this day. I said, I said, we're gonna have to move the wedding two weeks. I said, look, I'm pretty 
I'm pretty tough, but I'm not turning up at the registry office and saying, I'm terribly sorry, my husband's just had to rush off to some other woman's bedside because this baby's being born. But what it meant was that on our wedding day, we had all six of our children, my two big children who were 16 and 14, our two toddlers and newborn baby Louis in Dom's arms in our wedding photos. And, and, and that's, that's really special. And the last thing I put on my list that we achieved together was my mum dying from cancer. And, you know, that sounds like a strange thing to put as a success. But, you know, we were really able to pull together as a unit. My mum needed me. And Dom took up the slack of the things that I would normally able to do. And he took up the slack for the kids and he supported me. And that meant that my mum could have the end of life that she wanted. And, and, and I couldn't have done that if I, if I hadn't had um, his support. So, there are some great successes we had and, and, and the reason I want to share about those is because I then fell into complacency, I think. You know, we've been together quite a long time. We've been living our life, you know, things ticking along and, it, and it's easy to forget or it was easy for me to forget what I should be grateful for and, and how, how lucky I was to be in, in a relationship. That was so supportive. Fast forward now, we'll, we'll fast forward to 2016 and I decided things needed shaking up a bit. I was bored. I wanted to do something different. Right, we're going to all move back to France. This is coming from the woman who was desperate to leave France to go back to England when she fell pregnant with the second child. So, so I wanted to shake things up. I was bored. I wasn't grumpy. I, I didn't like how things were. So I took us all back to France. And if you'd asked me then, I'd have said everybody agreed it was a good idea. But recovery brings me a bit of insight that really it was me driving the car and nobody had any choice but to strap themselves in for the ride if they, if they wanted to stay on board. And we came back to France and um, it's been good. You know, we can look back six years later and say that's a really good move for us. There's lots of positive things. I, I don't regret it at all. But I do see that I put my family through quite a significant upheaval and, and didn't really pay enough attention to what they needed. And of course, it didn't really resolve the underlying problem because I brought myself too. And uh, I brought my boredom and I brought quite a lot of the things that I was maybe trying to run away from. And it's really when my, my drinking started to, to, to become problematic. Um, you know, I'm, I was bored, I'm lonely and stuck in, in a rut. And I developed a pattern of behavior of which drinking became a regular, regular part. And, and what happened with my drinking then was that really fed, um, anxiety, you know, it's rocket fuel for anxiety, alcohol. Um, you know, I sort of thought I'm using alcohol to relax, but actually what it was doing was just 
supercharging anxiety. And um, I became really depressed. You know, I, I in towards the end of 2019, it, it's not about being suicidal, but it's about thinking, oh, you know, when's the doctor going to give me a cancer diagnosis? I just can't be bothered to carry on anymore. I want, a, I want an out ticket. And that's, you know, I'm telling you that now, and it's just embarrassing to tell you that. It's embarrassing to say, you know, I've just told you all these wonderful things about my life, about what a good relationship I've got, how successful I've been at the things that are really important. And here I was sitting as a as a bored housewife, drinking myself stupid and not not wanting to live my lovely life. You know, that that's just so rubbish. And stuck in stuck in that rut really of, of feeling very unhappy very dissatisfied I just wanted to be rid of everything and and I don't think I was particularly secretive about that I'm I'm generally like how I am is what you get served on on a plate you straight up um whether you like it or not whether you want to hear it or not you, you're gonna you're gonna get a sort of splurge of how I'm feeling um and I don't really know how my family was feeling about that they were just, you know, we were all just coping. And then I had the moment when I suddenly stopped drinking. I'm not going to go into that here. I've talked about it before, but it, it came upon me suddenly at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. I just stopped drinking. Something happened. I decided that's it. I'm quitting for good. And I quit drinking. And it was, it was excellent timing. There is no doubt in my mind that I had still been drinking when France went into lockdown in the first pandemic. That is when I would have sunk into a pit of alcoholism where there was a real bad bottom and I would have lost everything. I, I just know that's what would have happened because in 2020, as well as the pandemic, as well as all that sort of big trauma everybody was suffering, uh, Dominic took a work contract that took him away. So he went away, he worked 10 days away and was home for four. And that, that does not suit us. Our relationship suits. Walking alongside together, rubbing along works for us. It doesn't work. If he's away for 10 days, the, the disconnection is, is not something we cope with very well. So we had a period of time where we were very disconnected just by the force of circumstance. And, but also a lot of other stuff, you know, the pandemic's creating all this head fuck and, and I'm not drinking. So actually I'm getting really strong. You know, I'm getting much stronger than I have been for the previous years. And, um, and then, and then that moves on. He, he quit that, that job because that wasn't working. He knew it wasn't sustainable to keep doing that. He came home, but very swiftly thereafter, he was offered another opportunity, which meant he would have to be away five days a week and home at the weekend. So that's slightly better. better. It was a training course, so we knew it was short-lived. But I and I was quite cool about that. I was quite cool about him going away. I thought I could cope. And it was while this trip away was happening this training away was happening in in 2021 that dom started acting out on on his addictions even though at the time i didn't realize that that was happening um and i reflecting on it now i can see how my not drinking was actually making 
him more vulnerable because suddenly I was strong. And I, I, I realize now that living with me is a bit like living with a volcano. You know, you don't know when I'm next going to throw everything up in the air and say, right, it's all change. We got to do something new. And, and I think that in 2021, there was a genuine fear that I was going to throw everything up in the air again. And that this time he wouldn't be part of what was it, what I wanted to take with me when I, when I changed everything up. And, and that seems stupid to me because in my head, that isn't where I was in 2021. But I think um, there was a, a genuine fear of, of abandonment and that I was really, really pushing on those buttons for him. And, and that's why he was acting out. And I, I need to work on that because I don't know that I'm ever going to change, that I'm the sort of person that might throw throw everything all up in the air and have it resettle. But I definitely can improve my communication with people about that when it, when it, when it's building up. But we hit the end of 2021 and that's when I found out that Dom had been acting out. And then when I dug deeper into it, I found out that it'd been going on for nearly a year. And that's when we come to 12 steps for me. That's when I hit my wall that said, I am going to lose everything that is important to me. And I cannot navigate this on my own. I don't know how to sort this out. I don't know how to get better. I don't know how to save my marriage without help. So you know, I'm not, I'm not without resources. I'm not hopeless. I'm not helpless, you know, and I've got a computer. I went online. I did my research. I got where I could get. I got safely into a program that supported me very specifically in relation to my husband's acting out. And I, and I was offered what I needed to get past the initial trauma of that. I was able to see that I couldn't say, this is all his fault. He's done something to me. I'm the injured party. I was able to see what I'd done, how I'd fed into the dysfunctionality that I needed to work on um, my healing, making myself better, you know, all this jazz about putting my air mask on. You know, I was just able to get some clarity over 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 my part and also letting go of my responsibility for, for other people's part. And I've, and I, it's worked, doesn't it? I'm still here. I'm still in a relationship. You all know that we're still in a relationship. We both come to recovery meetings. And, um, you know, w- when I first had that disclosure in October last year and I thought everything had come to an end, and I, I first went to the fellowship that supported me through that. And they said, you, you know, you'll be grateful for this in the end. You'll be grateful for this experience because y- you will come out in a, in a better place. And, and, and that, that's turned out to be true. Um, I want to say some gratitudes now because I have to remember not to get bored and, and to be grateful. Um, for things. And one of the things I'm grateful in my relationship for is I've never 
ever been made to feel less bad in this relationship. You know, he never makes me feel less. He always makes me feel like I can. Always encourages me to do things and to stretch myself. And, and, and that's really valuable. And everyday things, you know, one look and we can be falling about laughing about nothing because we just know each other really well. And, um, domesticity. I just love standing at the sink, brushing teeth together. Standing in the aisle in the car shop, trying to work out from the booklet from the car and the shelf of windscreen wipers, which ones it is we need for our car. And um, if we're in a deep conversation and somebody needs to go to the loo, will you just follow them down the corridor and carry on the conversation? You know, no shut doors. I particularly like it when he does his yoga exercises every morning in the bedroom. And in the summer, he doesn't have a stitch on. And I think that is quite frankly, free license to try and interfere with the yoga exercises. Uh, feeling desirous and desirable. You know, I love that as part of my life. Um, I wouldn't want to be without that. I think it's important to remember that if you've still got that after 20 years, then then if you're not fucking grateful, you need a slap, which is what I probably needed. And tiny things, like he's got a new thing. 20 years, he's got a new thing. Like I don't know if you can see that. That's a little man made out of a tangerine peel. So when he eats his tangerine for breakfast, when I'm not downstairs, he peels it in a really clever way that makes a little man. And then in the center of the little man, he leaves me the tiniest segment that he found in his orange so that when I get up, that's there for me. And, um, yeah, I, I have to remember all those things. Remember to be grateful. Remember to be reasonable in my expectations and not to get caught up in a narrative of what a relationship should be or how somebody should behave to show that they love you and just accept what I've got and, and appreciate that. And I'm going to end with another poem, if you don't mind. And that's, this is the last one. And it is a bit soppy. And I wrote it back in 2002 when I was that lovesick adolescent and, and fantasizing about my relationship that I was going to have. And it hasn't been turned out to be anything like my fantasies, of course, but it, it's probably better, really. Um, so I'll, I'll try and do it without getting emotional because it does make me a bit emotional. You asked, would I climb this oak with you? And we did scrambling undignified as high as we dare we laughed like children helping cajoling teasing and nestled in a crook of branches you asked may i kiss you and i thought i might fall fall into your arms fall in love fall from the tree and you kissed me and the bliss as the warmth of your soul swept into mine and I thought I might fall. And for a moment, eternity, separated from reality, kissing in an oak tree. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your time and indulgence. That's me done. Thanks, everybody.